Start here at four lines down on the top of Memod Aleph. The Gemara says, Itmar, Kamin Shukhmu Me Erev Shabbat. Water that was already heated up from Erev Shabbat. So here we have no Isur in terms of the actual heating of the water. It was all done before Shabbat started. Ravamar the Machar, on Shabbat itself, Rochetz Behen Kogufo Aver Aver. He's allowed to wash his body, not like he normally does, but he's allowed to do it limb by limb. The only thing you're permitted to wash on Shabbat after you have heated water from prior to Shabbat is his face, his hands, and his feet. The remainder of his body he cannot wash on Shabbat itself. So now we're going to challenge Rav's position, basically, which is the more lenient of the two positions. Water that was heated up prior to Shabbat. Avalo kol gufo. Sounds pretty explicitly like Shmuel's position, which is that you're allowed to wash these three items, which are your hands, your feet, and your face, not the remainder of your body. This really undermines the position of Rav. Rav, Rav can say in response to this, Lo kol gufo bevatachat. What it means when it says you may not wash your entire body means you may not wash your entire body bevatachat in a single time. Ela aver aver, but you can do it limb by limb. But what about the first part of the brayta? It says you can only wash your hands, your feet, and your face. Kein panavia similar to your hands, your face, and your feet, where each one of those is individual limbs. So in that instance, you're allowed to wash limb limb limb, but you may not wash kogufo, which means his entire body at once. Tashma. So let's look at another proof. So the same type of question that we're posing against the Rav, which is that one may not wash on Shabbat with water that was heated up prior to Shabbat, except for his face, his hands, and his feet. Umar says, Hachanami will answer the same way he did with the previous Brayta, which is, Ke'ain panav yadav raglav. Similar, not that it's only those three areas, but those three areas are representative of what is mutar, which is that you're allowed to do it aver aver, you're allowed to do it limb by limb. Right, so the Gemara is fickle about that. Sometimes it's willing to invoke the Rav Tano Palik, other times it's not willing to invoke it. Here it's clear that the Gemara does not invoke the Rav Tano Paliku. Gemara seems to see these bright dotas as making explicit statements against Rav, and they're not willing to accept Rav in the face of that. Now, Tanya Kavote de Shmuel, now we have an explicit bright dot that's more the position of Shmuel, which is Chamin Shohuchmum Erev Shabbat, the Machar Rochitz Ben Panav Yadav Viraglav. The water that was heated up prior to Shabbat, you can wash with that your face, your hands, and your feet. Ava lo kol gufo, aver, aver, but not his entire body, limb by limb. And certainly the same is true about water that was heated on Yom Tov itself. So water that's heated on Yom Tov itself, where it's mutar to heat the water, at least according to Beit Hillel, that has the same din as, or the equivalent of water that was heated on Erev Shabbat. In both those instances, one is allowed to wash their panav, yadav, viraglav, face, hands, and feet, but they cannot wash their entire body, and they cannot even wash aver aver. So this bright is explicit that you can't wash aver aver, so we can't give the answers we did before on Rob's behalf, that, oh, it really means like aver aver, because here it explicitly states that you may not do it aver aver. As far as Yom Tov is concerned, in terms of the water that's heated on Yom Tov, uh, that's really governed by a principle, which is that it has to be Hana Hashevelakol. Which is that in general on Yom Tov, one is allowed to heat water for Ochel Nefesh, things that would be for the benefit of individuals on Yom Tov, things that they would utilize on Yom Tov. One of the requirements of the Gemara is that it has to be Hana Hashevelakol Nefesh, it has to be Hana that is enjoyed by all, and everybody would equally gain benefit from that. The exception, for instance, that the Gemara gives is Mugmar. Mugmar was an incense that was placed at the end of the meals 
So you're not allowed to burn that on Yom Tov. Because not everybody enjoys that. That for those that are more fickle, those that are, that are more of boiled nature, they enjoyed that. But not everybody enjoyed that. So the Ishonim, Tosafot already said this on yesterday's daf. Tosafot mentioned the fact that water that was heated in Yom Tov, one may not wash their entire body there because it's not Hana Hashem Kol. It's not Hana that it's enjoyed by everybody equally. And that's why you're only allowed to wash your hands, your face, and your feet on Yom Tov with water that was heated on Yom Tov itself. Now, obviously that is subject to time and change, which is that many poskim argue today that that's different. Maybe it wasn't Hana Hashem Kol Nefesh back in the time of the Gemara, but today everybody gets that equal enjoyment out of washing themselves in hot water, their entire body, not just Yadav Panavar and maybe that reality has changed today. Rabba, on the other hand, had this statement of Rav in a slightly different Lashon, which was, As opposed to the previous statement that we had in Rav's name, which was, Rav said you can wash your body limb by limb. Over here, Rabba says, no, Rav said you can wash your entire body. The only thing you have to do is leave out one aver. The assumption being that afterwards you could also wash that aver after the fact, but at the time that you're washing your entire body, you have to leave out at least one aver. They asked all the previous questions in the Gemara on this statement of Rav, based on Rav's misover as to what Rav said, and then tiyufta. Then those were left as a question that undermined the position of Rav. Over here we don't have the option to answer like we did before. Before we were able to answer when it says Yadav Panav Raglav, Panav Yadav Raglav, we could say, oh, that means anything like those items. Those items just like they're Aver Aver, so to Aver Aver. But over here, the statement of Rav is that you can wash your entire body except for an Aver. And there's no really no way to reconcile that with the statements in the Braita that say you can wash your entire body, Chutzme Aver Achad. Therefore, all of those Braita now become a problem for the position of Rav. So I'm Rav Yosef Le'abaye. Rav Yosef, who took over as Rosh Hashiva from Rabbah, remember we had that in the Gemara at the end of Brachot, that Rabbah of Rav Yosef, they wanted to know who should be Rosh Hashiva. In the end, Rav Yosef defers to Rabbah, and that is the famous statement of the Gemara there that says, Kol and Kol If he pushes time, he gets pushed over by time, and if he lets time push him over, he'll be all right. Yosef had two years to live, or two and a half years to live after he became the Rosh Hashiva, and by not taking the position Rosh Hashiva, and Rabbah being the Rosh Hashiva for 22 years, he was able to live 22 years longer. So Rav Yosef takes over after the death of Rabbah for a short period of time. Abaye grew up in the house of Rabbah Bar Nachmani. He grew up in Rabbah's house. He was close with him. He was his Rebbe. So Rav Yosef over here is posing a question to Abaye about what was the practice of Rabbah. So I'm going to Rav Yosef to Abaye. Rabbah Mika Avid Mishmatei Derav. The Rabbah practiced like the Misori he had in Rav's name. He had a Misori that he said, this is what Rav said. And did Rabbah actually practice that way? So I'm going Abaye responds to him, I don't know what Rabbah did in this case. Now the Gemara, as an editorial comment, asks here, Mighty Baile, what was the question at all? Shita de Avid. Clear that Rabbah did not practice like Rav because the Hayitotov. We just brought all these bright though that undermined that position of Rav, and there's no way that Rabbah practiced like Rav if Rav had all these questions asked against him. So when it says maybe Lo Shmiele, maybe there are two ways to interpret this. Either Rabbah didn't hear about these Brightot, he didn't know about these Brightot that undermined Rav, or maybe Rav Yosef hadn't heard about these Brightot, and that's why he's posing the question. The Gemara says again, as an editorial comment, well, if he hadn't heard about it, then what was the question? Because we know the statement that we saw before in the Gemara, anything that Rabbo did, Avid Karav, Barmahani Tlat. He always passed like Rav, except for these three exceptions. The Ovid Kishmuel, that he practiced like Shmuel. 
we have a principle in the Gemara in general that when it comes to a machloket between Rav and Shmuel, in Memononot, we paskin like Shmuel, and Isurim, paskin like Rav. So basically what the statement here says is that in all those cases with have to do with Isur, Rabba always practiced like Rav, except for three cases. In the three cases we mentioned before in the Gemara, in Pameh Madlikim, which were Mantilimi Beged the Beged, one can move Tzitzit from one Beged to another Beged, Madlikim Miner the Ner, one can light Chanukah candles from one candle to the next, Valocha Kreb Bin Greira, and that we paskin like Rabbi Shimon when it comes to Muksa by Dover Shainu Mitkavain. Shmuel paskin like Rabbi Shimon, Rav paskin like Rabbi Yehuda, and Rav said, in that case, I don't paskin like Rav. So Gemara says, maybe the uncertainty here arose was because that maybe when, when Abaye told us that statement that Rav always practiced like Rav, maybe that was only true when Rav was the Chumra, when Rav was the more stringent of the opinions. Over here, Rav is the more lenient of the opinions. So it's not clear to us here whether Rav's practice then was always to paskin like Rav. Might be that he only paskin like Rav when it was the stringency, except for these three exceptions. So now the Gemara continues. Tan Rabbanan. Merchatz shepakaku nikavav mi'erev Shabbat. They plugged up the holes in the bathhouse on Erev Shabbat. Now, in terms of what happened here exactly, Rashi gives two possibilities about what was transpired here. Either they plugged out the outlet hole, which meant that the water stayed in the bathhouse. It was locked in the bathhouse, and that's why it stayed warm. Or the other possibility is they plugged the holes in the heating element. So the heating element could no longer heat the water on Shabbat. Basically, what they did was they made sure that the water was heated on Erev Shabbat and was not continued to be heated on Shabbat itself. Then the Motzei Shabbat, after Shabbat, you can go immediately into the bathhouse and utilize it. You don't have to wait, you don't have to wait the amount of time it would take to perform such a malacha, because if a malacha is performed on Shabbat when it's not supposed to be, and you want to get benefit from it, on Motzei Shabbat, you have to wait the amount of time it would take to perform that malacha after Shabbat. But here, since nothing was wrong was done on Shabbat, you're allowed to go in immediately. If this same procedure was done on Erev Yom Tov, on Yom Tov itself, you can go into the bathhouse, have it as a shvitz, and then come out, and you can come out, and then you rinse yourself off, you can pour cold water over yourself in the outer chamber. There was a case, a situation about the bathhouse in Bnei Barak. It was exactly this case where they plugged up the holes on Erev Yom Tov. Lemachar, on the next day, Nichnas. They went in there, Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah, Rabbi Akiva, two of the Gdolim of the door, Ve'eziubo, and they had a Shvitz on Yom Tov. Ve'atzu, then they went out, Ve'nishtatfu b'baitachitzon, and then they rinsed off, or had water poured over them in the outer house. But in this bathhouse that Rabbi Lozer ben Azari and Rabbi Kiva went into, the hot water was covered over by planks. We'll discuss that in a minute. When the Chamim heard about this, Even if that was not true in this case, it would be mutar. What they did was fine. And so let's just take a step back. We had a Breita that was quoted. In the Breita that we brought down, we discussed this, this idea of the bathhouse where they plug up the holes so that the heat is maintained within the bathhouse. We gave two examples here. We gave one for Shabbat and one for Yom Tov. As Tosfot points out, the din would be exactly the same on Shabbat and Yom Tov over here. Meaning that both for bathing, one would have to wait after Yom Tov or after Shabbat in order to go in there to bathe. And as far as Shvitzing is concerned, one can use it as a Shvitz both on Shabbat and Yom Tov. So even though the Breita is broken down into two pieces, the first one 
which talks about being Shabbat and then on Motzei Shabbat. And the second piece of the Brechtel is talking about Yom Tov and then going on Yom Tov itself. The activities that were done are mutar in both instances, both mutar on Shabbat and Yom Tov to go to the Shvitz. And it's also only mutar to bathe oneself post-Shabbat and post-Yom Tov. So why did the Brechtel or the Tosefta here split these up? Tosefta points out so that we understand later on. The Gemara is going to bring us some rules for us to understand that it applies both to Yom Tov and to Shabbat. Don't think that these restrictions that were placed on by the Chachamim were only placed on Shabbat. They apply equally to Yom Tov and Shabbat. And by separating it in the Tosefta, Gemara then is able to indicate or show to us that that's true in both cases. That's number one. Number two is we have this case here with Rebbe Lezib and Azariah They went into the Shvitz on Yom Tov itself. Then after they exited from the Shvitz, it says here, that they rinsed themselves off in the outer chamber. And then Rashi says about the next line in this story that's brought over here that the hot water was covered over by planks. So Rashi says is since it was covered over by planks, nobody would suspect them of warming up the water on Shabbat itself. Because the warm area was, or the hot water was covered over by planks, there was no way to heat the water on Shabbat itself. And therefore when they came out into the Bayit HaChitzon, into the outer chamber, they washed themselves even in hot water. They could wash themselves in hot water because there was no chashash about the hot water because it was covered by plank. And on that, the Chachamim say, you don't even have to have it covered by planks. We don't suspect someone of heating the hot water on Shabbat. Tosafot, on the other hand, says that in Tosefta, it says actually that they washed in cold water, which is the way I translated originally when I read it, that they rinsed themselves off in cold water when they exited. And that what does it mean that the warm water, the hot water was covered over? So that nobody should think that they washed in hot water. Hot water. Nobody should think that the reason that they're wet or they got all schwitzed up was because they took a bath in the hot water. So nobody should suspect that. That's why the hot water was covered over. So just two ways to understand that piece of the Gemara. Now, Mishirabu Ovreavera. And the sinners increased. They started to say no more of this going on in the bathhouses of the cities, the large bathhouses of the cities. But nevertheless, so what they basically said was there was no more bathing in the bathhouses anymore on Shabbat. We'll see why. The Gemara is going to explain exactly what happened here. But if you walk through there, it's okay. You're allowed to walk through there without the intent of doing it as a schwitz. If you have to pass through there for whatever reason, you're allowed to go through there. On the other hand, that would not be true of the bathhouses in the villages. The bathhouses in the villages were so small, or much smaller, that the air in them caused you to schwitz right away, and therefore you weren't even allowed to enter them on Shabbat. But here, these are the bigger ones in the city, so you could enter on Shabbat as long as you didn't intend to go in there for the schwitz. So my ovre avera, what exactly happened over here? Remember Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Originally, and we saw this before, we had the Rav and Shmuel discussing somewhat of this item, but this is obviously prior to their time, that they used to bathe in hot water on Shabbat, as long as it was warm before Shabbat. As long as it's heated before Shabbat, there's no question that you should be able to bathe in this water. Obviously, the bathhouse attendees are good business and their customers always wanted the water hot and it didn't always stay so hot from every Shabbat so what did they start to do? They started to heat the water on Shabbat itself and they said no no we really heated up before Shabbat they were heating the water on Shabbat but saying that it happened from before Shabbat so Chachamim then instituted a that one may no longer wash in hot water on Shabbat but he may we call one may go into the Schwitz on Shabbat. But what ended up happening was the people were going in and washing in hot water. And they said, no, we just were in the Schwitz. We're wet because we were in the Schwitz. Not because we went into the hot water. It's a daisy chain. If they were not really going into Schwitz, but instead going into the hot water, after going into the hot water, then the bathhouse attendees again were still heating up the water on Shabbat. 
Or according to some of the Rishonim, the problem here wasn't the chashash of them heating the water on Shabbat anymore, but they were violation of the Din Chachamim. Because B'nai Yisrael in general are not suspect for violating Yisurim de Oraito. Over here they were just saying that they went into Shvitz, but they were violating the Din de Rabbonon of bathing on Shabbat. Asru lehem et So therefore they instituted another Gzeira which said no more Shvitz on Shabbat. And then, they still said the hot springs of Tveria are okay. Or, people were still going to a regular bathhouse. We went to the hot spring. So, they progressed and put in another zero in place that they can't use the hot springs as well. And they left just the cold water left over. Ramim saw that that was not on the Am. The people did not accept the final Gzeira. We've seen other places in Shas, we'll see it again, that Xera only takes effect if the rove of the Kahal accepts it, and you can only be Gozer Xera that the Kahal can be Omeidva, that they can undertake. So it's clear here that the people were unwilling and unable to handle this last Xera. Therefore, he Hitirulahem Chameit Veria, they reversed the final Xera, which is the hot springs were then allowed again. But the restriction against going to the Schwitz and bathing on Shabbat, that remained in place. Now just quickly, why Rav and Shmuel, before we're discussing how you bathe on Shabbat, that's post-Gzeira. Post-Gzeira, where if you have water that's heated up from Erev Shabbat, and you're going to go bathe on Shabbat, the Gzeira says you're not allowed to bathe. So you have to do something different than normal. Shmuel says, what does that mean, do different than normal? You only have to wash. Panavia Davraglav. That's different than normal. Now then, Rav says, if you bathe, Aver Aver, that's enough of a Shino, enough of a difference from the normal, that you're not in violation of the Gzeira. So Rav and Shmuel, when they are discussing how you bathe on Shabbat, they're talking in a world post-Gzeira. In the world post-Gzeira, what do you have to do in order not to be bathing on Shabbat? So now, Rava comes and says, I'm a Rava. Hai man derabanan. Person who violates an Easter derabanan. Shari the mikrele avaryano. You can call him a sinner. How do you know that? From our Brita that we just quoted. Keman. Kihai tano. It's like the tano over here, when we just brought down, says that ambatiot shel krachim tayel behen The bathhouses of the city, you're allowed to walk through them without any problem. And then we saw after that the statement that he says that the ones increased those people that were sinners. Now, of course, in the first stage of the sinning, there was a problem where there was a violation of a dindoraita, which was they were not heating up the water on Erev Shabbat, they were heating up on Shabbat. But in the second stage, where they were going into the hot water, instead of going to the Shavitz, over there, they were only in violation of And yet, we called them in that brighta, that they were still called avaryanim in that case. This is what I mentioned before, that the qualification, that this is only true in the bathhouses of the city, the large bathhouses, those of the villages, lo, my time, I came into Zutrin, since they're small, the intensity of the air inside of them is much higher, and therefore when you walk into it, you'd automatically be like if you're in a Shvitz, even if you're just passing through there. You don't have to remain in there for any time, and therefore you can't even pass through them on Shabbat itself. And now we're going to move on to cooking on Shabbat itself. A person can stand next to the fire, heat himself up, and then afterwards go rinse himself in cold water or have cold water poured on himself. What he may not do is, He can't wash his body in cold water. And then heat himself up next to the fire. Because then he heats the water on him. Different reasons brought down by the Rishonim over here exactly what the problem is or what we're avoiding. 
The simplest way to say it is that he's cooking the water. He's going to be mavashal the water on Shabbat. If we allow him to put the cold water on and then stand next to the fire, that's going to be the equivalent of mavashal b'Shabbat. That's one possibility. The other two possibilities deal with the fact that this is part of the Easter, the Gzeirah, of not bathing on Shabbat. We said you're not allowed to bathe in hot water on Shabbat. So over here, if you bathe yourself and then go by the Medurah, you're doing the equivalent of bathing yourself in hot water, just not doing it together as hot water. You're creating the hot water by taking the cold water and then putting yourself next to the fire. So over there, the Rishonim have different opinions as to whether you're not allowed to wash your whole body in cold water and then go next to the Medurah, or even a portion of your body not allowed to wash and go next to the Medurah. Right, Mecham Adam Alontit. person is allowed to heat up an Alontit. Rashi explains to us what is an Alontit. It's a taula, towel. So you're allowed to heat up a towel. And place it on your stomach on Shabbat. It was seen to be efficacious in healing stomach aches on Shabbat. So they used to put hot compresses on there. But here, the towel, they heated the towel itself. They left the towel on top of the urn somehow. And then they take that towel and they put it on the belly. That's allowed. The one thing you're not allowed to do is to actually bring the actual urn, the hot water urn, and place it on your belly on Shabbat. To do this, you shouldn't even do it on a weekday because it's very dangerous. Of course, the issue of danger is that you're putting a scalding hot item on your belly, and if any of that water splashes out or touches the belly, it's going to burn the individual. So that's how, why it's Asur on Chol. The question of why is it Asur on Shabbat, I mean, the Gemara seems to say there's two stages. There's a problem of Sakana, which is that it's dangerous, so you shouldn't do it even on a weekday, but that's not the reason they asked it on Shabbat. In addition to that, there's a reason not to do it on Shabbat. So Rashi says, because what's going to happen is that some of the water will fall out of the urn and be the equivalent of you rochets b'Shabbat v'chamim. You'll be bathing in hot water on Shabbat. You'll be in violation of that gzeira. Tosafot, on the other hand, brings two other possibilities about the, what the problem is. One is the possibility that the water will spill out of the kumkumos and fall onto the towel, and then you'll have the hot water in the towel and then we might have a problem of Shema Yishot. He may squeeze the towel out on Shabbat. Or the other possibility is that he shouldn't bring it because it looks like he's doing refuah on Shabbat. To put a hot towel on your stomach, that's not considered so extraordinary. That's not considered to be medicinal in nature. And therefore, it's permitted on Shabbat. But if you bring a kumkumus onto someone's stomach, that's clearly done for medicinal reasons. And we know that practicing medicine on Shabbat is a problem because of fear of shkikat simanim, simanim. So therefore, it would be a source. So there are three different possibilities of why it's not permitted to do this on Shabbat. But even without that, it's still a sore because of the sakana. A person is allowed to bring a pitcher of water and place it next to the fire. Not so that they should get heated up, so they should boil. In order to remove the coolness of the water, to take away the coldness of the water. So here is where Machlok is between Rashi and the Rif how to read this. Rashi says something that is very difficult, but that was Rashi's interpretation of this Gemara. Rashi says you're allowed to put it in a place by the fire where it could boil. You just have to remove it before it boils. Rashi says that you're allowed to put it in a place that will bring the water to the point where it would cook on Shabbat. You just are directed to remove it before it reaches that point in time. And that's what it means over here. That you can't put it sheikhamu, but rather shetafig tzinatan. On the other hand, the reef says, no, you have to place the pitcher in a place where it cannot reach the point where it will be mavshal on Shabbat. You have to leave it in a place where it can't reach the point of being cooked on Shabbat. Rabbi Hudomer, ish pach shel shemen, a woman can bring a pitcher of oil, and she can leave it next to the fire, again, not so that it cooks, in order that it warms up.
A woman can anoint her hand with oil. And then heat it next to the fire. And then put it onto her young child. And she doesn't have to worry about it. The Gemara wants to know here, What does the Tanakama think about oil? The Tanakama only addressed water. He said, water, you're not allowed to bit in a position where it'll boil on Shabbat. Again, the Machlok of the Rashi and the Rif, what exactly that means. But it doesn't address oil at all. The latter two Tanoim in the Braito address oil. So the Gemara wants to know now, what does the Tanakama think about oil? So Rabbo Virav Yosef Damri Tavar Lehetero. Rabbi and Yav Yosef believe that the Tanakhama said it's fine. Oil is totally fine. Nachman by Yitzchak Amar says no. He thinks that it's also a sur. Now the Gemara explains. Rabbi and Yav Yosef Damreiter Vayel the Hetero. They said it's the Heter. Shemen Afal Pish Ayad Soledet Bo Mutar. Shemen, even if it reaches the temperature of Yad Soledet Bo, is still considered to be Mutar. What is the temperature of Yad Soledet Bo? So Rashi explains over here. Yad Soledet Bo is that it's so hot that the person is Nimshechet Lachorei Midagash Lo He recoils from fear of himself being burnt. Basically the instinctive reaction of the body to being in a position where it's so hot that it would burn. But the body automatically pulls away from such an item. So Yad Soledet Bo is a temperature which would engender that reaction, that instinct. That's what's called Yad Soledet Bo. So Yazaletipo is considered to be the temperature at which the item is considered to be mivushal. What Rabbi and Rav Yosef are saying is that even when oil reaches that temperature, it's mutar. It's not considered to be cooked on Shabbat. It's not considered to be mivushal. Kasavar, Tanakama, based on Rabbi and Yosef, the Tanakama believe, Shemen ain't bo mishum bishul. You can't cook Shemen. Shemen's state does not change. The basic idea in bishul is, or the isur of bishul on Shabbat, is that you change the designation of the item from something that was previously inedible, to something that is now edible. You've actually changed the state of the item. In order to change the state of the item, it has to be that the change is significant enough that it makes a difference. So what they're suggesting over here, according to the Tanakama, is that Shemen does not have Bishol associated with it. Shemen can not be cooked on Shabbat. Atta Rabbi Yehuda the Meymar, and then the second time Rabbi Yehuda and the Braita comes to tell us, Shemen yeshpo mishum bishul. Shemen can be cooked on Shabbat. Therefore, as long as you warm it up, that's okay. I mean, that Rabbi Huda, as opposed to the Tanakamu, says that you can cook Shemen, no problem. You can bring it up to the temperature of Yad Saladipo. Rabbi Huda says, no, you can't bring it up to Yad Saladipo. You can only bring it up to the point of Mashir. You can only bring it up to the point where you warm it up. Shemen yeshpo mishum bishul. Number one, Shemen can be cooked on Shabbat. Number two is, Yavshiro zehu bishulo. And the threshold for cooking it is not yet bo, but rather, Shiro. That means if you just warm it up, that is considered to be cooked on Shabbat. So basically what you have here is three opinions in Shemen, according to Rabbi Rabbi Yosef. The threshold of when Shemen is considered to be cooked. According to the Tanakhama, it can never be cooked. According to Rabbi Yehuda, the threshold for Shemen to be cooked is if it passes the point of Yad Zalitipo, cooking in any other material. And then you have Shemen Gamliel, who says that Shemen cook even easier than other liquids. And the threshold for cooking is Hefsheron. As soon as you warm it up, that's considered to be Bishulo. And Rav Nachman by Yitzchak said that the Tanakama was Li Sura, which meant Shemen Apopisha Yad Zaledipo Asur. That he believes that Shemen, even if it's not reached the threshold of Yad Zaledipo, that's considered to be cooked. I mean, similar to what Rabbi Shimon Gamliel said in the previous explanation that we said before, that the Tanakam believes, like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, that Shemen cooks even at a lower threshold. So Kasavar Shemen Yeshbo Mishum Bishul. The Tanakama believes that Shemen can be cooked, number one. And number two is Hefshiro Zehu Bishulo. And the warming it is enough you considered cooking of Shemen. And Rabbi Huda, the second time in that Braita says, that's not the cooking that we're talking about over here. Cooking has to reach Yad Saledipo. It doesn't reach Yad Saledipo, it's not Asur. 
he says that shemen can be cooked. And warming it up is considered to be bishul. So the question of Rav Nachman by Yitzchak's explanation is, Rav Shem Tanakama. Now Rav Shem and the Tanakama are saying the exact same thing, which is that shemen can be cooked, and the threshold for cooking it is simply warming it up. The difference between them is if you do it in a shinoi. According to the Tanakama, it doesn't matter. The Tanakama doesn't deal with shemen at all because he thinks shemen doesn't have the same dispensation as water. Water you could heat up as long as you don't reach out to let it boil. Shemen doesn't have that dispensation, and therefore it's always a sewer. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, on the other hand, believes that, yes, Shemen can be cooked at Hefshiro, the temperature of Hefshiro, but if you do it if you do it in an unusual manner, then it's not considered to be problematic. And what is the other, what is Kedi Acharyad over here? That's when you put the oil on your hand first, and then put it Kenegad Medura. That's considered to be okay. Now, Amrav Yehuda Amar Shmuel, Echad Shemen, Vechad Maim, whether it's oil or whether it's water, Yad Seled Boasur, and Yad Seled Mutar. They come to the conclusion over here that the Dina Bishul is equal for oil and water. Both of them have a threshold for Bishul and Shabbat of Yad Soledit Bo. If it doesn't reach Yad Soledit Bo, it's not considered to be Mibushal on Shabbat. Now the Gemara asks the question, we keep mentioning this term Yad Soledit Bo, what exactly is Yad Soledit Bo? Anything that would burn the stomach of a baby. Again, the skin of a baby is much more sensitive and soft. And the water, if it touched that skin, would cause it to burn. That is considered to be at a level of Yad Soledit Bo. And again, we gave the explanation before. It's a level of heat that would cause one to instinctively recoil from such a temperature. Amar of Yitzchak Barevdimi. Pamachat nechnasti achar Rabbi lebeit amerchatz. There was a time when I went after Rabbi into the bathhouse. Bikashti aniach lo shemen bambati. And I wanted to give him oil to use in the bath. Va'amarli, and he said to me, Tul b'klisheni, go put it into a klisheni, v'tain, and then put it in. Shmamina tlat. From this, we can conclude three things. Shmamina, shemen yeshbo mishum bishul. First of all, shemen can be cooked, because Rabbi was worried about him putting it into a klishon, and only allowed him to put it into a klisheni. Shmamina, number two is, klisheni enu bivashel, that a klisheni cannot cook. Shmamina, and the last thing is that we're talking about that the threshold for cooking of shemen is hefshiro. It's simply warming it up, not bringing it to the point of yatsaletipo. Because obviously, the water that we're speaking about here is water they were bathing in. If it's yatsaletipo, they couldn't bathe in the water. So the water is obviously below the level of yatsaletipo. Now, one thing that Tosafot asks over here, what is the difference between a kli rishon and a kli sheni? The kli rishon, we know, is something that was heated up on the fire inside of a utensil, that utensil is considered to be a kli rishon shal gabayayish, kli rishon that was on the fire. Even after it's removed from the fire, it's still considered to be a kli rishon, so it's called kli rishon shuhusar me'alayish. It has a designation of a kli rishon, and a kli rishon can be mevashel, can cook. On the other hand, a kli sheni is when the contents of that kli rishon are emptied into another keli. That is, second keli is considered to be a kli sheni. And the Gemara states here that a kli sheni is eno mevashel. A klisheni cannot cook. The Gemara will bring us three examples that are what are called kaliya, bishol, things that cook easily, that do cook even in a klisheni. But in general, items do not cook in a klisheni. Tosfot says that I don't understand. I don't understand the difference between klisheni and klisheni. If the klisheni, the contents inside of it are yadzoleted bow, then it cooks. If that's true, then if the contents inside of the klisheni are also yadzoleted bow, they should also be able to cook. It should be about the temperature of the water inside, not about which kli it's in. That's especially true today, where we are able to get the water to such hot temperatures. And then you pour it out of the kli rishon to a kli sheni, 
that Warner's still scolding hot. So why is there a difference between Klebisha and Klesheni? On the other hand, if the reason that Klesheni doesn't cook is because it's below the temperature of Yad Shaleta Bo, it should be the same of Klebisha. If Klebisha is below Yad Shaleta Bo, it should also not cook. So why is there a distinction between Klebisha and Klesheni? So it does a vote gives here the fundamental principle about what's the difference between Klee Rishon and Klee Shani. It has to do with what's called Daf Notav, the walls of the Klee. When it comes to a Klee Rishon, since the Klee Rishon was originally on the fire and now it's taken off the fire, the Klee Rishon's walls are hot. And since the walls are hot, it maintains the heat inside of the Klee. That means that the water or whatever's inside the Klee will persistently stay hot. And since it'll persistently stay hot, that's why it will cook. When you pour the water into the Klee Shani, even though the Klee Shani now has water inside of it that's Yatsoletipo, but since the walls of the Klee Shani are cool, because they were never on the fire, and they will remain cool, they are able to cool the water down, and therefore the heat that is there will start to diminish. It will not retain the heat, it will not maintain the heat, it will diminish from that point forward. And since the water temperature is diminished at a rapid rate, that will not allow it to cook. So that's what Tosavot says is the key difference here between a Klee Rishon and a Klee Shani. A Klee Rishon is able to cook, Klee Shani is not able to cook, and that's what he said to him over here to put it into a Klee Shani. Now, Hechi Ovid Hochi. How did Rabbi do this? One can only discuss Torah issues in all places except for the bathhouse or the bathroom. In those two places, they're considered to be what's called Makoma Metunaf, places that are not appropriate for Divrei Torah, and that's whether they're in use now or not in use. They're just a place that is not considered or kavod to the Torah to be discussed there, and one may not discuss Torah issues in either of these places. The default status of these places is that you may not discuss Torah in them, as to other places where you would, if it's a makomatino, if it's a problematic place, you can't discuss. If it's not, then you can't discuss Torah. But the default would be that most other places are ru'ui for divrei Torah. These two places are not. Now here, Rabbi's in the Beit HaMerchatz and he's giving instructions to Rav Yitzchak Bardimi. So what are you going to suggest? The answer is, that he spoke to him in a language other than Hebrew, and that's why it was permissible and that you're allowed to speak divrei Torah as long as you don't speak them in Hebrew. First of all, mundane matters can be spoken in Hebrew. And Torah matters cannot be spoken even in another language. The basic principle here is that the language itself does not contain the Kedusha. The Kedusha is not in Lashona Kodesh. And the lack of Kedusha is not in the foreign language. What gives the Kedusha to the language is what is being discussed. Therefore, mundane matters are always considered to be chol, whether they're spoken in Hebrew or if they're spoken in another language. And on the other hand, if Torah words are spoken or thoughts of Torah are spoken, doesn't matter if they're spoken in Hebrew or if they're spoken in another language, they are considered to be kodesh, which is an important factor today that people who object using of the Hebrew language for mundane matters, it's clear here in the Gemara that it is completely permissible. Gemara says, Afrushemi isure shiny. To stop someone from doing something wrong, that's allowed. You're right, you're not allowed to speak in divrei Torah in these places. But if you see someone about to do something wrong, you're allowed to stop them. That's what was going to happen here. Rav Yitzhak Baradimi was about to heat up the oil on Shabbat. And that would have been problematic. So Rabbi is giving him instructions in order to prevent them from doing something wrong. Teda, and I'll prove to you that that's the case. The Amr of Yehuda, Amr Shmuel, Masib Talmidosh Rabbi Meir. It's a case with the student of Rabbi Meir. That followed him into the bathhouse. He said, I wanted to wash the floors. He won't allow you to wash floors. He wanted to anoint it, kind of whether that's to put oil on it, to put some sort of aromatic perfume on it. You're not allowed to do that either. So why aren't you allowed to do it? We're worried about what's called a shvuye gumot. We're worried about you 
flattening out the crack in the ground, smoothing out the cracks. We don't allow you to, to wash or do these items on Shabbat because you might come to fill in the cracks, smooth out the cracks on Shabbat, which would be an Isur on Shabbat. Alma, Efrushem Isura, shiny. Clear fear from this case of Rabbi Meir where they were again in the bathhouse and he's giving instructions to a student that the reason there is clear. He's trying to stop him from doing something wrong. As opposed to the case with Rabbi, you could argue that Rabbi was just giving instructions on how he liked the oil. He wasn't trying to stop him from doing an Easter. He was just telling him how he liked his oil and giving him instructions about that. So here it's clear that he's trying to stop him from doing something wrong. Or the other possibility is that by Rabbi Meir specifically said here that it's a sword to do this. And therefore, that's why we, in this case, we brought the proof to Rabbi's statement. Hachanami, so too by Rabbi's case is a pushi meisura. Shiny. Amaravina. Shmamina. One who cooks in the hot springs of Tiberia is Chayav. The case of Rabbi is Lachar Gzeira Hava. The Gzeira that we talked about in the previous Amud, which is the Gzeira that didn't allow people to go into the bath anymore on Shabbat, that was established in the time of Rabbi. So it actually happened during Rabbi's lifetime. And here the Gemara clearly assumes that this is at the after the Gzeira in Rabbi's lifetime. So then, if that's the case, and Rabbi's going into the bathhouse, and he's going into the water, there's only one place you're allowed into the water, post the Gzeirah. That's in Chamei Teveria, in the hot springs of Teveria. So it says here, And he still said to his student, Don't put the Shemin into a Klirisha, and put it into a Klisheni, even though it was water from Chamei Teveria. So you see that the water of Chamei Teveria are able to cook, or are considered to be Bishol and Shabbat. Is that really true? One who cooks in the hot springs of Tiberia on Shabbat is Patur. So Dumaria says, my Chayav. What do you mean Chayav? Chayav nami de kamar makat mardut. Chayav here doesn't mean that you're Chayav mina Torah. It means that you're Chayav midrabanan. It's considered to be Bishol only midrabanan. It's not considered to be Bishol midoraita. Why is that? That goes back to what we saw on the daf, which is, what is the status of Chamei Tiberia? Are Chamei Tiberia considered to be, on yesterday's daf, what is considered to be, what is the status of Chamei Tiberia? Are Chamei Tiberia considered to be Toldot HaChama or Toldot HaUr? And I'm about that. The Rabbanan believe that Chamei Tiberia considered to be Toldot HaChama because they believe that the sun went underneath the earth overnight. And when the sun went underneath the earth overnight, it heated the water. And that was what caused the hot springs of Tiberia to have hot water because they were heated by the sun. And therefore, it's a Toldot HaChama. And we saw before that everybody agrees that Toldot HaChama in a Torah is not a sur in terms of Bishul B'Shavat. It's a question of whether we made a gzeira atu tudata or. But every, even the person who said it was asur only said it was asur midirabanan. And that's what this classification of chamei tveria is. They're classified as todota chama. And therefore the isur is only an isur midirabanan. I'm Rabbi Zera. Ana chaziti the Rabbi Abau. Deshat bambati. I saw him floating in a bath. Vleyadana i akar i lo akar. Wasn't sure whether he lifted his feet off the ground or he didn't lift his feet off the ground or whether he splashed or he didn't splash. Shita de lo akar. Of course he didn't lift his feet off the ground. Tatanya, we have a bright that says, Lo yishot adam, le'amayim. A person is not allowed to float on Shabbat or swim on Shabbat in a pool full of water. Even if it's standing in a courtyard. The reason for this issue of the courtyard is if you would splash the water more than four amot out of the pool, if you were not in a courtyard where it's permissible to carry, then splashing the water would be considered moving an item from a shuta yachit to a shuta rabim. Here the bright that says that it has, even without that worry about moving the water from one reshut to the other, it's still problematic to swim or float in the water on Shabbat. Here the Gemara doesn't discuss it, but other places, the Gemara says that the problem is he might come to build a floating device. He might build a raft or do something to help himself with the floating, and therefore he's not allowed to swim on Shabbat because of this fear 
that he'll build a raft or create a floating device on Shabbat. So if that's the case, it's clear here that Rabbi Abau did not take his feet off the ground, did not float in the water, because that would be a violation of this Isur mentioned in the Brayta. Where it says, Lokasha, that's not true. Ha, the late leg day. Ha, the leg day. The patterns and whether it has banks or doesn't have banks. Rashi actually brings two interpretations about what that means, or why is there a difference whether it has embankments or not. So the first one, Rashi says, is that the walls are not high. And so therefore, when he kind of climbed out of this pool, his feet then go into the ground, and they stir up the dirt underneath. And when they stir up the dirt underneath, they make the water muddy. And that's equivalent of, of migabel, kneading on Shabbat, because you're mixing a solid item with a liquid on Shabbat. So if the embankment is very shallow as you come to the sides, that'll be problematic. If the sides or the banks are as deep as the middle, then it's not a problem because you won't kick up dirt when you come to go out of the water or come into the water. That's one interpretation. Rashi doesn't like that as much. He gives a second interpretation, which he thinks is better. He says that if it has high walls, then it's shari, because then it doesn't look like a river. So if it doesn't look like a river, it looks more like a cleat. It's more like a pool. If you have walls up on the side, that doesn't look like a river. A river comes up to, on the banks and it shallows out on the side. If you have high walls on the side, then that's less like a river and more like a cleat. And therefore, it's permitted on Shabbat because they're not worried about you floating, swimming, and making a floating device. On the other hand, if it looks like a river, it has the semblance to a river, that would not be permitted on Shabbat. And that's a case where the banks, there is letle gudude, where it doesn't have walls on the side. It doesn't have these high embankments on the side. Okay, we'll stop over here.